The Trekkies Podcast Network is proud to have Fansets as its presenting sponsor. Fansets is the home for amazing pin collectibles with over 300 officially licensed Star Trek pins and new releases every month. Stay tuned for a special discount code worth 10% off your next order at fansets.com. Fansets. Our pins have character. Thanks for joining us on Discovering Trek, the Star Trek Universe Companion, presented by Fansets. Uh, So far, we are five episodes into Star Trek Prodigy, and quite frankly, we've been blown away by what we've seen. The writing team is providing us with interesting stories and developing characters for all of us to fall in love with. And after you've listened to me uh, a few times on this program, Chances are you have not fallen in love with me, but more with my co-host, and that is my progeny, Emily. And M, uh, knowing that we have such special guests for today, uh, was it an exciting uh, conversation that we had? What were your thoughts yeah. on that? Yeah, I liked it. I don't really know what else to say about it, but it was really cool, and I really wanted to Again, <laughs> <laughs> when I have the months of war, yeah, absolutely. It's kind of interesting that uh, you know we mentioned that the writing team is giving us some good stuff. Uh, the fact that uh, we get to have a conversation with the guys that created Prodigy and the writing team. Yes, they hired the writing team too. You're right. Now, I think it's kind of cool that. They were telling us that this is an exclusive. They have not been on any other podcasts to this point. What do you think of that? Pretty cool. Well, why don't you tell everybody where they can find us online? You can follow the show on Twitter at Discovering Trek, and you can find us on Twitter at Trek Legacy and on Instagram with the same handle. You can also find us in Camp Kittimer from time to time. And if you'd like to join the conversation there, just answer a few simple questions and you'll be welcomed in by our admins, Haley, Jackie, and Fark. You can subscribe to the podcast by downloading the Trek Eats mobile app or by searching for us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Please specify how you would like to proceed, sir. So today we have a couple of special guests on the show. Uh, if for some reason you're not familiar with prodigy i i can't understand why you're listening to this to begin with um but if if you're not uh, they were executive producers on troll hunters and lego ninjago the television shows uh, as well as having story credit on the lego movie the lego ninjago movie and hotel transylvania and of course the reason we have them with us today they are the creators of Star Trek Prodigy. We welcome Dan and Kevin Hageman with us today. And, you know, that's quite a list of things uh, to go over with already. But uh, let me ask you this. How does it feel now to uh, have your name up there with uh, Gene Roddenberry? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's still really weird. It's really weird. I mean, the show is still so new. And so seeing it on screen, it's, 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 I'm thunderstruck. Yeah. Yeah. We, we pinch ourselves every day. You know, there's, there's so often like we've, we've worked on a lot of fun stuff, but Star Trek is, is up there for us. I think we, we often say this is one of our favorite projects we've ever worked on. Mm-hmm. Do we have to like, how does this work? Do I have to like say, this is Kevin and then Dan has to go, this is Dan. So people even know like who is talking. Cause I really don't want people to think the stuff that's coming out of my mouth is Dan. yeah i know that's true because it's fortunate for me that emily's got a much higher voice than i do so yeah uh, or i I heard you had nami and like okay that's clearly nami but now you got two two ding-dongs talking at one time and you know we don't want the audience to be confused well, see, uh, what I'll do then is I'll keep this portion in so that it identifies you really well exactly that's what i was thinking (laughs) i was trying to like cleverly (laughs) Or Velvety Jones or Dan Hageman. 
Well, and you know what? Uh, this is, is Kevin. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, this this uh, back and forth is already like right on track for what our shows are normally like. So it's perfect. <laughs> it could. Do you usually have a single guest, though, or do you ever have pairs? It, it all depends. So um, we've been we've been trying to have it so that we have someone within the target age range. Um, and if that's the case, we try to have either a parent or some other family member on with them. Uh, like we had a, a couple episodes ago, we had, um, uh, it was 12, I believe. And his uncle was on with him. His uncle's a Trek fan. Um, we had my podcast partner from another podcast and his son on, he's a year younger than Emily. Um, Devin would know this stuff if he does his homework. And I'm the one who does, it, does the homework. I've, I've again, <laughs> Kevin's like, I, I, I like to improvise. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I, I have learned very early on in podcasting that, you know, not everyone is going to be listening to everything that you say. I mean, we we've had people on our other podcasts that are like, all right, so what do you guys do? Uh, what's your show like? And you got to run them through the whole gambit. So it's it, it is are, not a word. You guys are my first prodigy uh, podcast that I listen to. So I, you know, right when you guys drop it, I'm on it. Kevin, Kevin's slow on the take. I, yeah, I, I'm not. I, I I don't do a lot of podcasts or I listen to a lot of podcasts mm-hmm. yet. It's still, this is all very foreign, new, exciting territory for me. Well, I'll tell you something. I don't listen to our podcast except for when I'm editing it. Once it's <laughs> once it's edited, uh, that's the last time I listen to it. My my partner for another show, he will listen to it three or four times, and I'm like, how wow. can you how can you stand listening to your own voice that often? But that's tough. Yeah, we won't. Oftentimes, we won't watch shows our shows on television just because it's like we've seen it, you know, thirteen or thirty different types of ways, you know, to get it there. You're just like, okay. mm-hmm. I know what's happening, right? Yeah. <laughs> um. So what what got you started on the path to writing stuff like this? Um, I think we were mentioning earlier, it was uh, Kevin and I out of, out of, out of, Kevin had graduated film school. I had graduated. Can I start even before that? Because like Emily, like you're, how old are you, Emily? 12. 12. So yeah, like probably around 14, my dad came home with a video camera and like, he really never used it much, you know, I was, I was, I was pretty bad at soccer and filming the soccer games wasn't that exciting so we started uh, making movies in our basement with our video camera and that's what got us going into making stuff now see um, a, a video camera is what we used before smartphones yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i so so kevin kind of got onto the track of the guy behind the camera i would i would be in a lot of his movies i remember one time i was a senior in college and he was doing a film uh graduation project whatever called the dwellers yes and he's gone of the dwellers and he's like dan i need you to shave your eyebrows <laughs> like i don't know about <laughs> i don't know about that you know, it's for cinema care. dan it's for it's cinema. cinema it's art <laughs> yeah. i think I'm he's like no it's dad's video camera <laughs> yeah i talked him out of that but i think i was some like underground guy creepy guy without eyebrows um but no, the, uh, out of out of college, uh, I moved in with Kevin, and I don't think we ever. We didn't grow up wanting to be writers. I don't think we were very good at writing. No, can I say when I went to college, I had a screenwriting course, and I was like, <laughs> I didn't. I, I'm not going to become a writer, so I didn't take it seriously, and I like I got like a barely passing grade of like a C. So. And I actually went to college. Uh, I was curious about doing film scoring, and. Uh, and when Kevin said out of out of his college, when, when he's like, "Who? How am I going to get? How am I going to make a month? How am I going to make a movie if no one's going to give me millions of dollars?" And I said, "Don't tell me that because I'm like, who's going to hire me to do music if if you, <laughs> if you can't hire me?" And we're like, "Maybe we should write something." 
And uh, so early on, we were living together and we were just writing for fun. And uh, very fortunately, we had a script that got a lot of attention very quickly. This was back in 2002. And that that sort of that that was the first place where where we're like, oh, my gosh, we could actually do this thing. So have you guys been a writing tandem the whole time then pretty much nothing independent of each other? Um, I know Kevin had worked with another partner before I had graduated college, but then when we kind of got together, we've, we've never worked separate. We've always worked together. We've never worked on our own things. We, everything we, we've done, we've done together. I mean, we, um, we always kind of talk about our first drafts feel like second drafts because it's gone through both of us. We sharpen each other, right? <clears throat> it gives us confidence when it's really hard when you write by yourself and you're like, Boy, I really like this, but I have no idea if anyone else does. But to have a brother, and then there's partner, me to say I don't like this. Yeah, and then he goes, "Start over again on that scene, or whatever." But you know, once we once we get those pages right, and we're both like, "Yeah, yeah, we like this movie, or we like this episode," you know, we really beat come. each other up and beat each on, on the script too, because it's like we're really hard on each other. Because I think people who write on their own they can fall in love with their own work a little too easily. And it's like, it's, we've kind of grown up with that brotherly, brotherly rivalry, you know, it's, it's seen there on the page. So out of curiosity, what's the age difference between the two of you? Cause you do seem pretty close to each other. So I'm 79. Dan is 14. (laughs) I'm three, I'm three years younger. I know I look older, but that's Kevin's, Frankie Muniz complexion. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, I always say that like in high school, I was like a senior and he was a freshman. So there was like, when we we're mm-hmm. in our youth, there's a little bit of an age difference, you know, cause that's a bigger gap when you're at that age. Right. So right. we both love, we grew up in Oregon and it was raining all the time. So you couldn't do much outside. You're indoors and we we're shooting movies or making like our own dungeon and dragon games and like just, entertaining nerf wars or just you know oh my gosh we would yeah that was my favorite we would turn the lights off put opera music on and do nerf battles that was like i think it was like the john woo era yeah it was like john woo style nice opera nice no but kevin and i got along really well uh for brothers we talk about this too where kevin was smaller and i was bigger so kevin didn't want to pick on me because i could beat him up and i didn't want to beat him up because he was my older brother and so there was like this status quo good connection yep yeah yeah i see a bunch of star trek stuff in the background but i can't i can't really make make all of it out um but we're before you got started with prodigy um if you were star trek fans how into it were you and were you at all you know like yeah we honestly like i grew up i mean i was born in 74 so like you know star trek the tv original series was a little bit like my parents weren't watching it there was no way for me to really get introduced to it but, but it like was, kirk and, we, there was a lot of reverence though like kirk and spock were massive icons in the 80s like it felt sure. like there's michael jackson madonna kirk spock oh no it was out know. there right but it was the parents taking us to the wrath of Khan was in the cinemas. That was the introduction and like, wow, you know, that blew us away. And so I love it. I fell in love with the films, the film series. And then I fell in love with the original series. So that's, that's, you know, and I love the other series too, but that's my, that was my entry point in. Yeah. I think it's like we, it was, it was always around us. I remember I had a roommate in college who was a massive TNG fan. So I knew all about it, but it's, it, it was one of those things that we never, we never, we, we didn't feel like we were part of the Star Trek community, so to speak, but we just knew of it and we respected it. And when Secret Hideout came to us about the idea of a show as an entry point, our first instincts were like, we're not the right people. We're like, I, I don't know, like, <laughs> I was deathly afraid of writing techno babble or bridge speak. Like I wouldn't know how to do that. Um, But in that same meeting, as we were walking out, we're like, if it was from the perspective of characters who did not know, 
or feel comfortable, you know, knowing Star Trek like that. Then all of a sudden I felt like, okay, there's a security blanket there. And then all of a sudden I could, I felt like there's a place where I'm, now I can, we can share our actual love for Star Trek. It felt like, it felt like there's this, there always felt like a barrier of entry. I'm like, do I need to know all of this stuff to feel mm-hmm. like yeah. belong? Like at the beginning, I was always like, okay, the nacelles. No, pal, it's nacelles. I'm like, okay. <laughs> like there's that little stuff that like makes scares you. Like, well, if I can't even pronounce nacelles correctly, I shouldn't be writing this. Yeah. And so I, I there's this place where there was a freedom of feeling like we were one step removed. But we could also go, God, you know, all the Jimmy Roddenberry idealism, um, the better future, the diversity, the inclusion, all that stuff like I get geeked out about. And so it's been fun to kind of jump into Star Trek, looking at it, knowing we're going to be writing a Star Trek show, you know, and I don't know. It's to us. It's I could say we're 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 old. We're old fans and we're new fans. Yeah. Makes and, sense. You'll see, and you'll see like, you know. Currently, when this podcast comes out, I think it's the first five episodes have come out. And, and you'll notice like in episode four and five, they're given their tricorders and they learn about uh-huh. phasers and they learn about, um, you know, and, and, and it's going to be so fun in the future episodes. We just we're taking that time to just go into each idea, right? You know, whether it's a transporter or whether it's first contact, you know what I mean? Like those kind of core ideas that makes Star Trek. Too much, Kevin. Holodex. We're just talking about the classic tenets and great mm-hmm. things that make Star Trek, Star Trek. Yeah. We didn't want to throw everything at the, at. In one shot. Yep. Possibly no. a six-year-old. You know, it's too much, you know? Phasers, too, you know. Too many Star Trek fans take it for granted. It's a lot that you guys mm-hmm. know, right? And like for kids, we got, or, or, or just for a new eyes, new audience and a, a new adult watching the show. How do we just, Take it one step at a time. Let's just enjoy everything that's on the plate, right? Let's enjoy the meal, but let's enjoy each little thing. Yeah, we've we've actually talked about that with a few of uh, the parents that have been on, uh, just kind of saying how the evolution of the show so far has been literally through a child's eyes, so that they can grasp what's what their parents have been watching all this time. Uh, they begin to get the the uh, slow osmosis effect of learning a little bit here and a little bit there. So really cool. Like that idea. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I think I also want to say, I think what was important, we knew again, us knowing that we weren't the perfect people to write the show. We wanted to hire the perfect people who want to write the show. And, you know, one, one of those people uh, was Aaron Walke and Aaron, you know, we felt like someone were like, Okay, he's another safety blanket. He's somebody who he knows this world in and out. He knows the episodes. Uh, the Benson sisters—they, they, they, they knew this stuff. Um, so we wanted to make sure we surrounded ourselves with Trek fans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Aaron's corrected me a couple times on Twitter over some things. So uh, yeah, he's uh, he, he keeps us honest too. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So i mean this isn't this is obviously not your first time working at the upper levels of a series so take us through the process of you know going from ground zero of a series through the whole creative process to getting it to air wow i mean it's a big question but i think it's like you start with your gut of like what is the show and what is this what is the show not and very early, we're like, it cannot be Little Kirk, Little Spock. We're like, and also, we didn't want the show only to speak to kids. I'm like, that, that's no fun. Like, we want to make something that stands up with the rest of the Trek shows and something that adult fans can enjoy, something that we, Kevin and I, can enjoy, something, you know. Um, and I think when we started it, we, 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 we very quickly understood who this crew was and what they needed to do and what they needed to become. And I think we kind of said this was, you know, all of Trek shows are always about the best of the best. They've come through Starfleet. Um, Jean-Luc Picard, I can think of no greater captain than Jean-Luc Picard. I'm like, let's imagine the worst captain. Let's imagine the worst navigator. Let's imagine the worst security officer. But then let's see them grow, you know, because to us, 
character evolution. Let's, let's see them grow into that, though. Yeah, like really, let's let's watch them become great. Let's enjoy that process. Yeah. Um, you know, so that's something that that kind of gives the series a shape. Yeah. And once we had the shape, you know, we developed a pitch. So you have to have a, you know, a half hour pitch and you're taking it to all the networks, like, and there was CBS and then Nickelodeon and, you know, and just getting people excited about it. And then when they said yes to it, um, my gosh, it was, I don't think I've ever started something so early like this, where it did, it started with an idea and then to actually all right, you have office space now at Nickelodeon and we need to find a writer's Like we're the only ones that right now, it's just two of us. So then how do we, we find a producer at Nickelodeon who, uh, McGregor Middleton, and he became our producer. All right, well, we got to find a director. You know, we found Ben Elon. Um, we had to hire the writer, you know, it was so crazy. So we started with just two. And then right now there's 200 probably crew, uh, you know, we get to watch recordings of our of our orchestra uh, overseas, and and there's like I don't know sixty musicians. Like it's amazing the size uh, that this production is now. But I think what's what's great is like I think almost like within the first week of us talking about what the story could be, we knew what would happen in episode one. You know, they find the ship. We knew what would happen in episode five. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, Gwen. Gwen makes a choice. We knew what happens in episode 10, yada, yada, yada. We know yeah, what happens in episode, episode 20. Yeah. And we felt like we knew, and we cannot, We I, I will say this, we cannot wait for everybody to see what happens in season one. It is, I don't know, it's great. So, it's dramatic, yeah. Um, and now we're deep in season two. We're deep in season two. Mm-hmm. Um, we're just finishing up episode, what, 35, 36. Wow. So, yeah. So we're like animating, you know, we just finished animating five and six and seven. We're, you know, over there yet. We're also writing end of season two right now. So it, it is mm-hmm. kind of crazy. It's just a lot of fun to see like what people are graphic, like, you know, people loving rock, people loving Murph. We love it because it's like we 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 are seeing where where these characters are going way down the road. We're the Cation child. Everyone talking about the Cation mm-hmm. child. And so we're like, okay, great. Like, yes, we care about you know her too. And don't worry, folks. You know, you will see her again. But uh, you know, you you never. There's just surprises, right, Dan? Like mm-hmm. things that you don't expect. Yeah. How do you? come up with the ideas for all of that? I think a lot of it is like, we knew this is like introduction of Trek. So you're like, you want to hit the greatest hits, you know? You, that's why very early on episode three, you're like food replicator, get get a food replicator in there. Yeah. Um, Transporter, like, you know, you can't you know, just you think about episode them. four, it's the, the away mission. Um. Kevin, mm-hmm. don't be spoiling, Kevin. This stuff is going to be coming out before. Okay, but it's not hard to guess that they're going to discover transport. Hol- they're going to discover a holodeck. They're going to discover. Oh, a- Dan, now you're spoiling things. I know. <laughs> the typical yeah, stuff like that's a on a ship. Yeah. Yeah, you can't. We can't do our show Jackie without on the cloud. But what's fun is they have no idea what a holodeck is. So mm-hmm. we're going to have some fun. Yeah. Well, yeah, could, like Dan was saying, the greatest hits, you know, not only just with the, you know, with the elements that make up Star Trek, but the stories that make up Star Trek. There's so many great stories through all the different series. And and and, and some of them are mysteries. Some of them are, you know, monster movies in essence, right? Some <laughs> of them are, you know, the, the big philosophical debates, you know, it, it, there's all these different kinds of Star Trek episodes. And so we definitely, I think you'll, you'll see in season one, they're all very inspired by something that you love. About the greatest hits, yeah. yeah. And then in terms of character, you know, as a room, you just sit there and you talk about rock talk and you boil things down. You're like, she represents empathy. Mm-hmm. You know, she's the empathetic one. So what would she do in this situation? Dal is um, um, Dal could be could be described as a lot of things, but he's not ready, you know. So how, how does Dal? Selfish. <laughs> yep, he's selfish. He's very ego. 
but I think what you're going to see is we're going to dive deeper into the characters in season one and you're going to see why he's he's like that. Personally, I love of any authority figure. I love him. Like at the beginning, you might think he's a little prick, but then you understand the background of what he grew up with. And you're like, Oh, self-preservation. I get it. Mm -hmm. I love this kid. Yeah. One of the things that we've said, I think over and over again on the show with, uh, with Dal is that we're, we're seeing him at his worst right now so that we can really appreciate him once he's as, once he reaches his best, his highest potential. And you know what it is? The core is there and the core is even there in the pilot where he doesn't give up hope, which is like the mm-hmm. fundamental Starfleet ideal. You know, he's a guy that no matter as how bad things get, the dude's not going to give up. Um, so, so it, it's, it's a lot of fun. I, I think early on we're like, we like these characters Murph was a late addition. Murph was a real late addition. Murph was a joke. Murph was, <laughs> oh, let's give him a blah blah blah, you know. And because I think well, yeah, uh, it started with it started with uh, Dow. Uh, you know, he gets sent to the surface and stuff, and then he comes back and he finds out he was replaced. Like they found someone to replace him, and it was just this. <laughs> Like, what well, what would be the worst thing to be replaced by that would really hurt your ego? You know, you're just like, it's just a space slug, you know, like, <laughs> seriously, you know, and it was like a funny, yeah, it was a funny joke. And mm-hmm. then we started to fall in love with them. And then it took a long time to design Murph, man. Oh my gosh. I can't wait for like an art of prodigy book to come out and we will have a chapter devoted to the different versions of Murph. And it kind I think of, it cha- I think, I think the trajectory of Murph changed where like Heather Kane's like, shouldn't Murph actually be cute? We were trying to make Murph this so ugly, but at the same time, adorable, lovable, yep. yeah. ugly, adorable. But like some of the weird. images were like, no, it's just ugly. <laughs> but we always knew like, we wanted Murph to be like this walrus. We just love this sound of a walrus. And originally we tried to like look to see if we could get a sound library of a walrus, but we're like, this is going to be so difficult. And then we heard, uh, then, then we heard, uh, heard D Bradley Baker and we're like, Oh my gosh, hands down. Mm-hmm. The dude's a magician. If there's ever an art of prodigy book, uh, I, I saw Emily's l- face light up when you, when you mentioned that, cause she, we've been, oh, we've been discussing it. Yeah. She has been totally, she geeks out, I think, more on the art and animation of the show than the Star Trek side of things. True. I've mentioned it for the last every episode since we started this, I think. <laughs> oh, good. You got to have a talk with Ben Yvonne. Like, Ben, like he is someone who's just like brings it such to another level. Kevin and I were always trying to push a cinematic approach. And um, when Ben came on, now it's like, whoa, 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 maybe it's too cinematic. <laughs> can, can we actually do this? <laughs> like, yeah, know. it's really special. I mean, you know, when you first are coming up with a show and you have vague ideas in your head, but we're not artists, you know, you don't know what the show, the finished product is going to look like. And when you think about animation today, so much animation is very Disney inspired very Pixar, very big Got round it. faces, giant eyes, very mm-hmm. characterish, you know, and um, I'm There's so nothing wrong with it, but it just feels no, there's like nothing wrong with it. Market is crowded with it where it doesn't yeah. really, it doesn't excite you. I always feel like the element of surprise, something new always feels like, like Spider-Verse, you know, really had a gorgeous look to it and it was mm-hmm. fresh and original. And, and so when Ben started doing art for us, we're like, oh my gosh, yes. Like we're going to make this feel special and different, you know? And we all kind of, we all gravitate towards like just seeing a character breathe, like being up close and seeing a character breathe to me is so exciting. It's like, that's what gets me feeling like these characters are real. And that's what like draws me in as opposed to like Pokemon, like battles where it's just like, you know. Those are my favorite shots. It, it, you know, there are gorgeous landscapes and space and ships and all this great stuff. But when I see that close up of like Dow's face and his big eyes, and you see that hope and that innocence in his eyes, or like rocks smiling in the pilot when the elevator goes down, I'm just like, oh, that's yeah, nice. Gwen. There's close ups of Gwen and just her lips, just her mouth as she says something. You're like, 
God, that's just, that's just real. Yeah. We were, we were talking about um, for episode five, the emotion that was put on her face when her father like leaves her behind. It was you know, you could, it's, yeah. It, it's hard to do because in the time limit, you know, in the budget, whatever it is, it's like, we, we have a, it's not, we have a nice budget, but like, it's, it's for what we're trying to do. We're, everyone's working as hard as they can. Yeah, we, we have, have like to a, give it to our, we have to give it up to our crew because our crew is just doing incredible, incredible. We work. have like a skeleton crew of artists and people, and we just all love Trek, and we're all just trying to do our very, very best with very little time and very little money. And I'm so I love the finished product. Product. I love what I'm seeing on screen. I would say, yeah. I, what? I mean, we, we, we have a good budget. It's just, it's, it's just still, I think it's just. It's no, but Dan, I compare it to like, it's not a movie. We're not doing a movie. Mm-hmm. We don't have a movie budget, but we I think our show feels like a movie. Exactly. That you could say that. Yeah. Yeah. Very proud. definitely. Definitely. We, Nickelodeon has been an amazing supporter. Um, Secret Hideout, been, everyone's been an amazing supporter. I feel like we we're, you know. It, it, yeah, it's there, there's a lot of things we could say about the animation world in general, but it's it's I think we're doing amazing work for what we have. I have a question and it isn't necessarily a part of the interview. I just want to settle an argument that I had with him about the show. What <laughs> color is Dal? Is he blue or purple? Purple. Ha. Um, <laughs> I, think, I thought I had been saying purple the whole time. <laughs> I'm, gonna have, blind, to, Mike. I'm gonna have to go back in the archive. Example. Yeah, I'm gonna have to go back in the archive and see who said what. <laughs> what color is the shirt you're wearing right now, Mike? Uh it is fluorescent yellow and gray. <laughs> okay, not good. True. I just wanted to make sure. Oh yeah. That's not true. It's a yellow green. It's a yellow. I was gonna say it's a yellow green, but that's not well, good. yes, I guess that's true. Neon. All right, maybe we'll say. <laughs> I think it's actually, I think she's right. I think it's considered neon green. So <laughs> No, it's not a neon green. It's a mix of yellow and green. You guys sound just like us arguing <laughs> over something. That's what, that's what we've been told that we argue like siblings more than, uh, more than <laughs> parent child. Yes. <laughs> Like to take a moment to talk about Fansets, the presenting sponsor of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. For the last five years, Fansets has been providing us on a monthly basis quality merchandise. In addition to Star Trek, they continue to require licenses for all different types of fandoms, including Scooby-Doo, DC Comics, Batman 66, Harry Potter, and Dirk and Morty. Now, Prodigy obviously is another in the line of Star Trek animated series. And Fansets has recently devoted a lot of time to the past and current animated series. The Women of Trek series just recently released Beckett Mariner and Lieutenant Mares to their line. And their latest release is the micro crew versions of Will Riker and Deanna Troy as depicted in Lower Decks. Keep an eye on fansets.com for those and over 300 officially licensed Star Trek pins including the Delta's Done Right collection, which recently had the Wrath of Khan pin and Magnet released, as well as more micro-crew pins, episode pins, and many other great designs. So as another person on this network would say, go to fansets.com and put a whole bunch of pins in your cart. As a listener to the show, you can receive 10% off your next order from Fansets by using the code DiscoveringCheck at checkout. Remember that you receive free shipping in the U.S. on orders $30 or more. Fansets. Our pins have character. And we thank Fansets for being the presenting sponsor of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. So, uh, so you guys already mentioned how, uh, you know, we've, we have seen on screen so far five episodes 
Um, you are in the process of writing number 35 or further. Mm-hmm. Um, so were you saying you were in post on six, seven, eight, or are you further on that? Like how, how far out does it take to plan story versus, you know, when we see stuff? No, we're working to clean up. Yeah. It's we're, we're working on the next five episodes still. Okay. At the window though, Dan, like when we wrote, so it was over a year ago when we wrote, you know, season one, early season. Season one wrapped before COVID, right, right, right when COVID was in. Oh, wow. We finished okay. writing season one. So it, it takes a long time because, you know, from the script, it goes to the board artists, right? Mm-hmm. And we get a director and board artist and they start penciling it in and it takes different stages to get it as clean as possible. And that's it. You know, I don't know how many months that takes, but it's a big chunk of months. And then once that's done, then it goes and gets animated, right? Well, Layout. before that, though, you got you're making the sets, you're making the props, you're making like your oh you yeah, know, you make every single thing. It's a it's like a two to three year process. Like it's a long time. Mm. Takes a long time. Yeah, I remember when we talked to Nami, she was saying that she had read through all the scripts so that she could mentally prepare for how she wanted to score everything. Um, But then, you know, you still have to see what's happening in order to, as she was saying, kind of put the emotion into the music. So, yeah, I I mean, Nami knows this, but I just wanted to go on record how much we love Nami. So she's a maestro. She's Mm -hmm. just brilliant. What she does. I remember um, in the pilot when when Dal and Rock first find the protostar ship at the end of episode one, you know, she she sent us this music that was pretty much very close to what you were hearing, and I, like it brought tears to my eyes. You know, I'm like it 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 was exactly what we wanted and so much more. You know what I mean? Like I knew like we wanted this to be an emotional experience when there's these latchkey kids suddenly finding a ship, you know, and seeing, seeing, you know, the Starfleet emblem and doesn't mean anything to them yet. Mm -hmm. You know what this means. And you know, it's like finding an ally that gets it. You're like, so it's very, so much where you're like, you know, you'll get these board artists, you know, sometimes I'll go, Oh, a Nickelodeon Star Trek show. Okay. Um, boopity, boopity, boo, you know? And you're like, no, 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 no. It's gotta be, it's gotta be better. It's gotta be bigger. It's gotta be more ambitious. And so it's like, (laughs) You're constantly telling people, no, 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 think bigger, think bigger, think bigger. And then Nami comes in, you're like, that's it. That's it. <laughs> she gets it. it. Yeah. True yeah. talent and a true Trekkie. So, yeah. Cool. Is it like complicated to make sure that you're not contradicting something that's already come up in the Star Trek universe? Yeah, we have David Mack has helped us quite a bit. Um, you know, you, you want to have multiple layers of um, safety nets. Like we have, we have a like, room. We have because it's just it's too it's too impossible to like have it all in your head to know every every little thing to know every make sure every sound effect is correct or to make sure you know. Um, we'll do meetings with canon, we'll- just. Yeah. We'll do we'll do meetings with the other showrunners where you're like, we're using Okana, we're using Okana, you know, like, mm-hmm. well, how are you using Okana? Well, we're using him this way. Um, mm-hmm. We but, try not to step on each other's toes, you know. But I love like we have we've we have David Mack, who's this wonderful. He'll read our scripts and go, oh, instead of the dilithium coupler, what if it's the dilithium matrix or whatever, right? Mm-hmm finds these wonderful little things that we're like, oh, okay. And then we have Dr. Aaron McDonald, who is our PhD um, sort of science expert, right? Consultant. And I love it. She just, she's like, she loves how science-based our show is. And we want to be true to science. And she's totally there to help us, you know, whether it's a dying star in, in the episode Star Starstruck or whatnot, or all these other things, she's been a true blessing. And you know, uh, we want we want kids to be inspired not just by the fun adventure in the science fiction, but by the science. Yeah, you, so they're learning something as well. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. David Mack, we interviewed him um, for our other show. I don't know, month before COVID started at a convention. And he told us, I can't remember if we put it on air or if it was just something he was talking to us generally on. He said, you guys are going to be blown away by prodigy. You have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) 
I love so. that. I love that. You know, the truth with him, he was always hard on us, right? On scripts and notes and well, blah, blah, blah. Because he's he like, was, who are these? He, he was wonderfully critical <laughs> of everything. And then it, I felt like it was, you know, it wasn't until the very end where he was like, you guys have truly made me proud. You know, like this is truly, you know, like it. No, it was episode eight. He was like episode eight. Oh, was it? Oh, really? Okay. Wait till episode eight, guys. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> I, I, I'll, I'll mark it on my calendar. What yeah. Emily was saying about, is it hard keeping everything there? I, there is somewhere where we did like, and this is a bit of a, um, teaser for episode six, um, you know, in Discovery, their pilot or for their new season was Kobayashi Maru, right? Mm-hmm. Um, our episode six is called Kobayashi. <laughs> so, and that was something we didn't realize until way late in the game. Like, ooh, they're like, our episodes are bumping right into each other, but they're not related, but I'm just saying. Yeah, luckily they're there's over different. You know, I think we just realized that their episode is called Kobayashi, like literally when a week or so ago when the episode came out, like when, oh. when it posted, <laughs> like, oh, but no. yeah. Oops. So you guys may have mentioned this um, in the Star Trek day panel or the San Diego Comic-Con panel. I can't remember which one, but was having Janeway as part of the cast always in the plans for prodigy or yeah, was that she some, was like in the, yeah. in the same breath of the crew doesn't know anything about star trek and in our words who is their sensei Wu? that's our ninjago mm-hmm. reference who is their sensei Wu? and it's it's captain janeway we knew that right off the bat mm-hmm. uh, we joke now it's like i couldn't imagine picard because picard hates <laughs> kids He'd be right, like, right right yeah <laughs> like, no one's gonna want to watch that show yeah. very true very true <laughs> So how long from beginning to end does it take to complete an episode? I mean, it all depends on, I mean, it's different. I would say like two years. Two years, right? two years, two or years. just under two years. Yeah. So I think what, what's so interesting for us is to see the fans embrace the show and it's like we've been embracing this show for you know two two years ago. Like it's our it's our like our little secret, you know. And we're like our writers' room is like we love these characters. These we you know just as people are like if any harm comes to Rock, we're like we know. We, 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 we <laughs> love same way, yeah. <laughs> and and the truth is because we're two years out, it's very scary. We're like, what if the fans mm-hmm. don't like something? We can't course correct. You know what I mean? We can't right. just we're already down the line. I'm sure there'll be something where the fans are like, what are you doing? And we're like, I don't know. We did it. We did this two years ago. Yeah. Hey, I, I think from all the people that we've talked to, um, even adults are saying great show. Um, and they're just interested to see how it keeps going because the tie-ins have been great for fans that are longtime fans um, the things that you talked about being able to introduce parts of the Trek universe to people that haven't seen it before, whether it be kids or adults, it's been done in a way that's simple enough for people to get it. Um, uh, I haven't heard a negative, a negative word on it yet. I, I think it, it's like, I look at it as our room and our crew, we, we, we have to honor the past. And at the same time, we have to honor the future, you know, and they have to be equal. It can't just be like a love letter to all old past. Right. We right. have to create a we have to create a new love letter for these new characters. Mm-hmm. And this shows about them, you know. We love Janeway. She's a great part of it, but this crew, this crew is our is our is our core, is our heart. The heart of it all, yeah. And so I think, and then also I think something Kevin did very early on, he was listening to a podcast. Kevin said, you do listen to some podcasts. Yeah. Just not ours. This was back like before pre-COVID. Script notes? Yeah. Is, that what it, is that what it's called, Dan? Script, script notes. We listen to script notes. Yeah, John August has a screenwriting pot. And so I would listen to it really just for work, like trying to be a mm-hmm. better writer. You know? And then he listened to one with Julie Louise Dreyfus talking about the veep room and they talk about just coming to the room from a place of joy 
making sure that everything's a comes from a place of joy. And that was something where like, this is a show like, let's, yes, we're so lucky to work on the Star Trek show. You know, let's be happy about that. Let's make this show from a place of joy. And I think that's something that's really resonated. Because it won't be on screen. That that joy won't be on screen if we're not, you know, and, and of course mm -hmm. there's challenges. Like it's not always easy at all behind the scenes, but I do love like, we'll get like Star Trek interns, you know, through different fellowships and stuff. And they'll sit in our writer's room and they'll be like, that was such a joy, you know, sitting in on your room because you guys are clearly having fun and you clearly love Trek, you know, and you're lifting each other up and empowering each other. And, you know, we're a team. So every script that you read, it's such a collaboration of our entire room working together. Yeah, Fridays are one of our, something we'll have to get back to later today, but Fridays are um, one of our favorite days because we do room reads where we've we've all worked on the scripts over and over and over um, and we've toiled over them, but all of a sudden we'll read a script and like the writer of that script will dole out roles and be like, okay, you, Emily, you do Murph, um, Kevin does Chakotay, Mike, you be uh, Jank and Pog, you know, so uh it's fun to see i don't know if i spoiled anything with the chipotle in there i think you did <laughs> oh, i was i was at i was at uh las vegas when he announced that he would be doing voice work so oh really uh, yeah <laughs> so uh so it's a lot of fun for us to you know play the parts and to, to read the episode and to all as a group refine it and make it a little bit better you know and something that we can kind of all put our name on it so to speak. Awesome. So this isn't going to be for prodigy in particular. Um, so I'm going to have you think about your career so far and tell us what your favorite character is that you've either created or you've had a hand in shaping through your writing. If it's, if it's from prodigy, that's fine, but, it can be from anything that you've been working on. So you're saying pick a child. What's yeah. your favorite child? See, I can do that because Emily's my only child. Uh, so. I, see, I, see. <laughs> I see. If I pick the dog, she'll be offended. So, um, A lot of the times I like the leads of, of, of the shows. So whether it's Jim Lake Jr. in Troll. We didn't create Jim Lake no, but no. Well, we had a huge hand with Jim Lake Jr. He was saying it doesn't not we have to have one hundred percent ownership over the character, but we've you know steered the character and you know um, I love I love Gwen from her stories. You know, as you can tell, it's off to a strong start and it only gets mm -hmm. more powerful. And I love her. I think she's so. Yeah, I mean, awesome. I didn't go back just because it was so early in her careers, but the Green Ninja. And it sounds hokey, but it's like the character growth that that character went through from beginning to still going through. Like they're on like season 15 of Ninja mm -hmm. right now. Like it's, it's, it's endured because of the characters, you know? And so I think that's something I'm really, really proud of is that we're always creating characters who evolve. And I think that's something that's rare in children's or family entertainment. Well, because in movies, you only have 90 minutes. So there's usually a little bit of a character arc, but they don't go through that much in 90 right. minutes. We have the chance to take a character through 20, 40, 60, 100 episodes. And where do you take them? You know? So I think in our day, like Optimus Prime is Optimus Prime. There, there's yeah. No yeah, Duke of G.I. Joe is Duke of G.I. Joe. Mm -hmm. Like maybe there's a little bit of character stuff in there, but not much. Yeah, so it, it is, it's those characters. Yeah. Because like, Lloyd's another example of one of our main leads in the well, Lloyd. transformation they go Lloyd, through. Yeah. <laughs> <Lloyd. laughs> All right. So Emily's going to refine the question a little bit now for you. Okay. If she can unmute herself. Sorry. I can, I can read lips, Emily. So don't worry. <laughs> You're saying, why... Am I the better writer over Dan, my brother? Is that what you're saying? That's the question. <laughs> um, this kind of got wrapped up in the last question, but what is your favorite character from Prodigy? Um, Kevin already said Gwen. I, but I'm not saying Gwen's my favorite, though. Zero. Zero's great to write. I love it's the way Zero turns a phrase. Mm -hmm. God, Brock. 
Uh, you can't. Here's what I love about our show. There's there's shows that I've seen where there's an ensemble of characters. And many times you're like, wow, I love this character and that character is amazing. And there's that character who's okay. And that character is kind of a nothing burger. But like, I love our cast. I love um, our, our crew. Each one serves such a wonderful story. And they, each one has a, such a distinct voice. Mm-hmm. And, and, it, and it helps create the family. So I love the family, you know, of Prodigy, this I, it's, I can't pick one over the other. Yeah. Anyway, like, how can you not love I love Jane? Kevin's like, I can't pick one or the other, although I just picked Gwen. <laughs> no, but that's just over. That's greater than just like a favorite character that I don't know, because like we were saying, it's because yeah. you know the, the arc that the character's on and how much hey, transformation. Hold on. Hey, Kevin, just spoil it all. I'm just spoiling everything for you. Folks. Gwen is president of the Federation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. Gwen is actually Spock, guys. Gwen is Spock. No, Gwen. That's awesome. His mind has been placed it's into a teenage girl. And this uh, and these are the turns that we're all expecting as Star Trek fans. <laughs> exactly. I haven't heard anyone guess that one yet. Right. We just blew their minds, Dan. Gwen goes well, crazy on a dragon. And blew their minds, or we lost all. Now you're, now you're putting Game of Thrones in there too. Yeah, <laughs> yes. uh, yeah I've heard, uh, I've heard, or I've seen that Aaron has uh, put a challenge out there for anyone to figure out what Murph is. So there's still that going. I haven't seen anyone respond correctly, at least according I don't to know Aaron. If, yet, so. I don't know if anyone's going to be like, oh, that's it. I think, I, I think everyone's going to be like, ah, yeah, I don't know, that's no longer. I don't, so. I don't think it matters. Uh, Merce origins don't matter. Dows do. There you go. But you'll discover. You'll discover. We will reveal what Merce is. Well, we are and looking actually, forward to really, all of it. And really, let me just say, Dan, you're, you're forgetting one major thing. that Kevin, just shut your mouth. No, I'm not going to reveal anything. I'm just saying there's a lot to Murph. It's not, lot. You're, you're making it sound like Murph is, a, is nothing. It's Murph. No, no, no. But what, but what Murph is. Mm-hmm. 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 So I'm going to go on the record right now with uh, CBS, Viacom, and Nickelodeon and say that neither myself nor Emily asked any probing questions regarding the future of the show. Everything was just laid <laughs> out there for us. <laughs> all, all our loose lips. Yep, loose lips. Yep. Uh, Murph is think? actually just Nickelodeon slime. That's sentient. From you can't do that. From you can't do that on television. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. That is way before Emily's time. That would have been a good guess. <laughs> you like the show, Emily? Yeah. Good. We have she likes the art, not the stories. That's right. Yes. She likes the art. <laughs> yes. <laughs> not the characters. Oh no, she's she's in love with she is in love with it all. In fact, she is hoping for the time that uh, some of the characters start showing up at conventions so that she can ah, meet them. I can't wait. Mm-hmm. I don't I'm, know I'm where I. Go ahead. I don't know where I'd put them on my wall, though. Mm-hmm. That's a lot. I can't tell what's on your walls, but is there a lot? Um, yeah. Well. Well, not right now. She just redid her is, walls. So. Yeah, I, I have a wall that has a mural on it. I have a wall that has like five different shelves. That wall has a cork board. And then there's two spots that have been taken up by posters. So I have no room. And I have like three different shelves over there that's just full of autographs. And then there's still more on another shelf. So let's say you found a little spot on a wall and you had a poster of one of the Prodigy characters. Which one would it be for you? Ooh. Do you have a favorite? The tables have been turned. Yeah, I think she does have a favorite. She's told me who it is. I think it's wrong. Oh, I don't know. No, that's me. That's me. Yeah, 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 yeah. You want I don't to, know. You want to be Rock's father and make <laughs> You told me it was Gwen. I like that... Gwen. It evolves. It, your character it does. of which you like will evolve. Exactly. You're gonna learn more about each character and you know, zero might suddenly become your favorite all of a sudden, you know, when you know more about zero. So 
I think what's great is like early on, we did tests with kids, you know, and it was one of my favorite things was just seeing uh, the kids love each of the different characters. It wasn't like everyone loves Dow or everyone Mm -hmm. loves Gwen, you know. And every time someone goes, I love Jenkin, you're like, really? (laughs) But even Jenkin gets some love. Even Jenkin gets some love. Well, we both love Jason Manzoukas, so. Yeah, he's fantastic. (laughs) He was someone early on who were like, it's got to be Jason Manzoukas. Yeah, there's no other, no one else could do Jenkin. And see, when I heard him announced as one of the voices, I was like, wow, where is that going to go? You know, knowing Derek and Adrian Pimento and uh, what's the Parks and Rec character, Em? What's uh, what is oh, Jason Manzuk? Uh, Daniel. Fein- yes. Uh, no, Dennis. Yep. Dennis Feinstein. Dennis Feinstein. Yep. <laughs> you know, <laughs> thinking of those three and of like, how is he going to translate to a kid's show? <laughs> but it's perfect. It, it's perfect. It really is. Yeah, yeah. His voice and Angus Emery's voice. I remember we were very. Um, Angus we played there. Brought that up to casting. We're like, find this guy. His name's Angus Emery. He did a voice in uh, the kid who would be King. He played young Merlin. Cause we were trying to figure out like With Sir Patrick you, Stewart, how do you do an androgynous mm-hmm. voice? That's high minded. That sounds a little different, you know? Um, and yeah, as soon as you hear Angus Emery, you're like, that's, that's zero. Mm-hmm. We can't thank you guys enough for spending some time with us today. Uh, I know Emily's been really looking forward to this. As soon as she found out that uh, you were following us on Twitter. Oh, um, we're, we're big fans. So. <laughs> Huge fans. Well, yeah. and, and at the junket, um, we had one of the guys from our network ask a question for her. And he like, all of a sudden I get this message from him and he's like, they said they know who Emily is. I'm like, that's pretty cool. So I told her, she's like, wow, what are you talking about? So, yeah. Well, I always feel like I'm in debt because I spelled your name wrong. And I feel like, oh, I spelled yeah. her name wrong. I spelled like one of our first fans' names wrong. Like, uh, now we owe you a debt of gratitude for life. You are, you are forgiven because her grandfather spells her name wrong. So, <laughs> okay. <laughs> and he will be listening to this, so I think he'll he'll spell it right. Actually, he always blames it on his uh, voice to text. So, again, thank you very much. We are so thrilled to have been able to uh, take some time today and uh, chat with you about uh, this this baby of yours, this child of yours that we're all getting to uh, enjoy. Well, I want to say how thrilled we are to listen to your show and to have people who like our show, like and to, and to share. And like, I love the consideration you guys put to it. I, I, I love it when you guys put our feet to the fire, like, you know, I, you know, it's, 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 it's great to hear it straight from the fan's mouth. And, mm-hmm. um, and also I got to say, just, I think one of the, the loveliest things about this process is hearing um, parents and their children and having Star Trek connect them. And I think that's the thing that honestly is like weld us up at times where you're just like, it is so awesome to literally have a show, bring families together. So, yeah. you know, thank you. Yeah, guys for- like literally like two weeks ago, um, my daughter, who's 10, she was on a playground and she comes up to me. She's like, dad, dad, dad. She's like, there's two little boys on the playground talking about how amazing prodigy is. And I'm like, what? Like, you know, that that's like that first litmus test. You're like, ooh, the little kids are liking it. No, that's that is really awesome. Um, yeah, you're right. That is the litmus test. So uh, but yeah, looking forward to the rest of season one and you know, knowing that you're already in the 30s for your writing season two as well. So thanks a lot, guys. Thank you. And appreciate all the kind words as well. Oh, it's been such a pleasure. You're you're my first podcast I get to be on. So thank you. forget that you can support discovering trek and the trek geeks podcast network by subscribing to bonus content on patreon 
Get access to unedited audio of all our podcasts and a lot of other perks. If you'd like to support this and the other member podcasts of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network, beam on over to patreon.com slash trekgeeks where subscriptions start as low as $2 a month. And for more great Star Trek discussion, check out the aforementioned member podcasts on the network. In addition to Discovering Trek, there's Trek Geeks, Rewind, Politrex, Five-Year Mission, Deep Space Pride, Infinite Trek, The Divine Treasury, Sci-Fi Sisters, and the newest shows Drawn to Trek, Science Station 2, and With the First Link. You can find all these shows and where to listen on trekgeeks.com slash listen, or by downloading the Trek Geeks mobile app. The Trek Geeks Podcast Network. No one talks Trek like we do. So this was a really fun and enlightening conversation that we had with Dan and Kevin. And uh, as you know, you never know who else might stop by to visit our corner of Podfleet Command. Our regular episode synopses will return in January with episode six of Prodigy. But you want to make sure that you keep tuning in to Discovering Trek for the breakdown of Discovery for more Star Trek episode discussions. Until next time, never stop discovering. Music for Discovering Trek is provided by Five Year Mission. They're writing an original song for each episode of Star Trek. Hear more of their music at fiveyearmission.net. Discovering Trek is a production of Coconut Media Works. Executive producers Bill Smith and Dan Davidson. For more great Star Trek discussion, discover the other shows of the Trek Geeks podcast network at trekgeeks.com or find us in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app.